Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Pillow Talk with Sean Cameron, episode six, where we are privileged to have Andrea Rizendis with us, who, among her many talents, teaches yoga, um, focuses on holistic wellness, is drinking wines and eating cheeses, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. So we're having her on the program to help answer the question, why yoga? So why do yoga? What is yoga? And some of the healing aspects that may also be involved in yoga. And we've seen a proliferation of yoga. And also because this podcast needs to migrate away from running themes. <laughs> so welcome, Andrea. Good to have you. Thanks so much. It's really nice to be here. Um, so first, set the stage with us. So uh, how did you get involved in yoga? Maybe give a little bit of your background also. And also, Andrea and I know each other from... Uh, the Lululemon store where I had served as a so-called Marathon Maven a year ago uh, for the Prudential Center, Andrews with the Newberry Street store, and obviously Lululemon's theme centers around yoga, holistic wellness, running, dance, etc. So set the stage a little bit for us in terms of your, your background. Sure. Um, so my first experience with yoga came in 2002. I was um, a sophomore in college, and I was doing a required class of literature requirement. And I took what was called the spiritual journey, which of course um, was highly enticing to me because I'm, you know, not so much a religious person, but definitely have um, a strong interest in spirituality. <clears throat> and so in this course, we read all sorts of books um, like Dante's Inferno. Okay. Yep. Is that what it's called? Yep. Okay. And, um, a book called Buddha and um, a whole bunch of other stuff and and our teacher was this <laughs> older guy he was he was kind of a hippie but he was super cool and at the end of the class at the conclusion of the semester he's like you know there's uh, something very special happening um, this weekend at the at the rec center he's like he's like there's gonna be a yoga class and I was like yoga what is what is this um, and so the whole class was invited to attend, which of course I did. And I brought some of my friends and, um, I was in love from the first movement we did. I was, I was in awe. It was so intriguing. It was exciting, but also it really touched me in a way that I didn't expect. And I experienced at the end of the class as I was walking out, like a, just a feeling of just complete and utter piece that I really had never had experienced ever before. And I was just like, wow, I, I just really want that again. Mm -hmm. um, and that was, that was the very beginning for me. So you've actually already touched on a, a few notable themes. You talked about the spiritual journey. You talked about the, your first movement. So remembering just the physicality of yoga so separating the spiritual aspect from the movement and then you just you also talk about feeling peace so those are three different dimensions of yoga um and you also mentioned just the, the concept of what is yoga what is this as as you began to explore it so when you think about the actual activity of yoga now and, the, and you're an instructor and involved um Maybe walk us through any of those three dimensions, whether the spiritual journey, the movement, the element of finding peace, and whether you think of yoga as more something. Is this physical? Is it meditation? Is it flexibility-oriented? Just what is it, and how, how should we think about defining it? Yeah, um, it's such an interesting question because 
the question of what is yoga, I mean, is, is so broad. Um, for me, I'd have to say, I have to take it back to the way, way beginning, um, which is the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. And this is the, it's not really clear if Patanjali is an actual person or if, if he was a sage or if it is just um, a book that was written on an, an idea, but um, this is, you know, hundreds of thousands of years ago and anyways, written in the very first sutra, so in the book of, this is the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, this is the, you know, Bible of yoga, if you will, this is where everything has come from, and um, so again, it's not really clear who the author is, if Patanjali is a person, but... And hundreds if, of thousands of years ago? No, I said hundreds of thousands, <laughs> because honestly, I'm not, I don't really know, and I'm not actually sure if it's back. known when it is, but yoga is said to be about 6,000 years old, wow. um, however, some people argue that because what we know now, yoga to be, which is really um, hatha yoga, which yeah. is the yoga of asanas or the practice of postures mm -hmm. um and that's really said to maybe not have be more than a couple hundred years old okay. so i am not the expert to ask but so but either way the book the yoga sutras of patanjali is the book that is where everything it comes from and so the book has three well there's three books in the books they're called padas or feet and um, the very first sutra, which so they call it sutra, as you can consider, like um, if you get a stitch and it's a su suture, mm -hmm. so the sutra, it's just like a thread that weaves all the way through the book. So the very first sutra, number one in the first book, Pada One, so one of one is like, what is yoga? And Patanjali answers the question. He says, um, yoga sita riti nirodaha, which basically essentially translates into yoga is a quieting of the mind stuff. Hmm. And I think that's really the best way to define it. I mean, yoga really is, I think, the practice of meditation, the practice of finding your higher self, if you will. I, I think it's, it's the practice of, you know, not only becoming one with, all things around you, but also kind of rising above what is going on in your head, like actually the quieting of all that, maybe what is sometimes referred to as the monkey mind, I believe in mm -hmm. um, Buddhism. And it's just kind of like finding out what else there is. Like when you can be, when your mind can be quiet, what is left? Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of really, for me, the goal. And I think maybe what Patanjali was saying is the goal. Like, it is to find your inner self, maybe to find, you know, God, if you will, or a higher power to get answers where answers do not live in the active conscious brain. So this is interesting. You're evoking themes that touch upon religion and spirituality. I mean, you're, you're referencing a book that has history to it and serves as a guide. I and mean, this, in some sense, actually does sound like a lot of religions, if you will, that exist today, except that there's also the physical aspect of 
of yoga. You know, the you're working on posture, you're working on poses, and that in some sense will differentiate it from other sports. And certainly you see within other religions prostration or a physical element as well, but nothing nearly to the extent that you would see in yoga with changing of poses and whatnot. But it, it sounds like to me the primary lens through which you view yoga as an activity is through the mental-spiritual-calming aspect, as opposed to, say, you know, I'm, I'm a runner and I have tight hamstrings and I really need to do yoga and loosen mm-hmm. up type thing. I don't know if I've characterized that right. You absolutely have for me. I mean, I, I do think this is completely, although I, you know, I quoted the first sutra, which is, sums up the whole book in the first sentence, but it, it still is very personal. I mean, I think other people um, who are practicing yogis might, might find it to be a completely physical practice, but for Myself, I really find that <laughs> we're, we're dropping ice trying to chill our line here. Um, so yeah, for me, it really is a, it's more of a spiritual um, practice more than anything else, but it's not to be overlooked that for me personally, and also as an instructor, I think it's a much easier thing to grasp using your body as a tool in yoga to get to that place. Um, I think it's much easier to learn about how to focus meditation-wise, for instance, on one asana. If you're in downward-facing dog, I mean, there's so much to know and so much to do in any one pose. And you concentrating on the spreading of the fingers, the pressing down yeah. to lift up your hips. You're, you're concentrating on uh, your breath. You're concentrating on relaxing your neck. You're con- there's, there's scores of attributes that go into each posture, and it's a lot, it's a lot more um, palpable and attainable goal to say, let me consider all these things and practice each of these things in order to be mindful and in this way maybe come to the end goal of connecting with something higher rather than to sit down in a class and say or on your own and say okay I'm going to meditate I'm going to try to totally clear my head of everything I mean that is and and maybe come to some enlightenment which maybe perhaps is the actual goal of yoga I mean those things are can be so far beyond what we know and what we practice in, in every day. That, but however, using our bodies is something that we do every moment. And even you know, you're sleeping, you're you could be tossing or turning. You're still breathing. Mm-hmm. It's like we are so into our breath and into our body. So it's just, I think it's a, a super important access point, a tool to get to these more subtle things that actually become the bigger picture. So that's a great way of characterizing it. I love the focus on enlightenment also. I, I do wonder if most of your students or most of the people that actually are engaging in yoga today also share that mindset. I'll, I'll give a bit of a contrast where I go to the Boston Sports Club in Boston or pick any gym that anyone could go to. And in addition to having treadmills and weight machines and 
various kind of workout accoutrements set up. They also offer yoga classes, and I feel like they're offering that almost as uh, one option for quote-unquote working out, that you, you go to yoga class for an hour, hour and a half, and instead of going to spin class or doing weights or getting on a bike or, or, or what have you, you do yoga class. That sounds really different for to me from what you're talking about in terms of enlightenment and finding peace in meditation. Or are the students that are showing up that you see in your class or that you've seen more generally within the community uh, in Boston or elsewhere um, or in New York or Andrew just came from before here, do you... Do you tend to see your students also share the mentality you have, or do you think it's evolving? And if so, how is yoga as an activity evolving? Yeah, so I think those are two different questions. And to answer question one, do I think students who are at the gym or even going to studios or students I see in class, are they coming to maintain or attain enlightenment? I mean, to be perfectly honest, no, I, I definitely don't think so. But... I also think that um, there's another aspect of yoga that is not that you cannot get from doing other um, practices of exercise. And um, although you might like walk out of a Zumba class or you know from a run, and you you may feel clear-headed and like really great, I think that there is an inevitable piece of or a benefit really, if you will, to a yoga practice that leaves you with just more of, um, I don't know, a sense of completeness, a sense of wholeness mm -hmm. that I don't really know if you can get in other places. I'm not, mm -hmm. I'm not excluding that, that possibility. But um, so I am going to say that even though I do believe most people are coming to stretch, to, you know, get a workout, um, I think it would be a very small percentage of people who also who could claim not to also receive that extra benefit that I think is is completely attractive and um, it, just something you don't get from other activities in your life. So, and I wonder when you're um, either teaching yoga or doing it on your own, if you're experiencing what the psychologists. There's a guy, Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, who wrote a book called Flow, and it was mm -hmm. on the psychology of optimal experience. And he talks about being so absorbed in activity that you lose track of time, where you are, anything other than whatever's going on in the activity in and of itself. And I've often admired those that do yoga, in part because... I imagine, although I want you to tell me if this actually is happening or not, that they're experiencing this state of flow, of complete absorption and activity. We almost lose track of everything else going on around you. Kind of like how you said, you attain the sense of enlightenment. And there's something special about that. and It's, it's magical. And I, you certainly may experience that in other sports, whether whether it be endurance sports or um, even activities like rock climbing, etc. Um, but I wonder if there's an element of that to it, too. And flow is kind of, it's not a new concept, um, but you certainly see the proliferation of yoga. I mean, I've seen it grow where I didn't, I didn't even know what downward dog was or what a plank <laughs> was or child pose or any of these or warrior until 
probably a few years ago. It's certainly not anything that I'd heard about, say, 15 years ago. It just wasn't even on my radar. Um, so that's throwing a lot at you, but it just I wonder if you have any thoughts just around the activity as flow, maybe why it's it's also been booming, or even if you think it is, is or is not from your perspective. Um, so I love that idea of flow, and, and I think that... I think that sums up kind of perfectly what it means to be in meditation. Mm. And I think you can bring yourself to your mat or yourself to your meditation cushion or whatever it is that brings you into that so-called state of flow. Um, and although perhaps some days you might come and it's, it is a, more difficult to achieve that day. I mean, every day, it's a practice, number mm -hmm. one. That's why, you know, people say, um, you don't say, you, I do yoga, you say, right. I, I practice yoga. And it's because nobody gets on the mat and they're like, I am doing perfect yoga today. Right. I mean, there's no such thing. It's, it's every day, it's a practice. And it's the same thing with this practice of meditation. So some days it may be just a dream and you're mm. like, this is amazing. I'm totally in the zone. I'm in the flow. Some days... It's, you know, you're distracted, you're itchy, you know, all you want to do is eat your dinner. It's, right. it's not hard. It's not easy sometimes. Um, I've heard so much about that book. I have not had the pleasure yet of reading it's it. Um, but that is, I hope I, I answered your question. You did. I have a question for you. Is yoga a sport? No. Okay. That being said... <laughs> That being said, it's very interesting because I think that yoga is so dynamic and such an amazing activity because especially if you're talking for young people, I'm, a, I'm also a teach, I also teach children and I'm very interested in actually starting uh, a program for teens, specifically for girls ages uh, 13 to 16. Mm -hmm. And um, <clears throat> it's, it's honestly one of the only things that we have in society that is not competitive. Yes. And it really, and it's because it is a personal practice and it's not, you know, it, you still are getting some, if you're doing a yoga, if you're doing a form of yoga that is asana based, which most are, at least now, that you might hear about or see happening. When people think about yoga, it's, it's not the meditation probably. It's more of like the in class. Mm -hmm. And so all that is considered the asana-based practices. And, um, oh no, I forget what I was saying. Well, this is good. Uh, we were talking about yoga as sport. And I like how you oh, said right. because there isn't a competitive element to it, it almost removes that element of sport to it. And one of the earlier podcasts with Christopher Tong on this program discuss this issue of com so-called competing at the highest level. And sometimes, uh, certainly when I'm running and I'm training, I feel like I'm improving myself, competing, etc. But I also feel like I'm experiencing a state of flow when I get so absorbed in the activity. And looking back on afterwards, I think, wow, I, I lost myself in that activity. And yet, I like how you're differentiating kind of a, a non-competitive versus competitive activity. And frankly, I think it would be good, especially because the history of humanity is riddled with competitive endeavors, and especially 
men competing against each other for control, power, domination, X, Y, Z, frankly, women, etc. Just the history of our world. And to now have a domain of life, a sphere of life where you're like, you know, if you want to be competitive about this, there are a whole host of other activities you can do. We're not doing it here. Like, there's no such thing as a world yoga championship, right? So, this is where I was going. Actually, believe it or not, there is a, some sort of asana, yoga asana championship. Um, This is something I actually, being in the yoga world for 10 plus years, I actually just learned about this within the last month. Um, And I think, you know, I think it's okay. I mean, especially um, because it's not so, it's not so mainstream that people even know about it. I mean, um, and it is, if you are talking about just the asanas, just the postures, I mean, certainly they are athletic in that's in their essence. So right. that is that is fine. If that, but, but so that competition, great. I'm very actually curious about it. Um, but generally speaking, everywhere else in yoga is not a competitive atmosphere. It is not a, com- or it is not at least meant to be that way. Some people might. Which which makes me wonder who your students are. So. The typical person showing up to your class and says, Andrea, I want to learn about yoga. I want you to teach me. I want to go through these poses, learn mindfulness, etc. Walk me through, and, and the listeners, the, the type of person that shows up. And, um, and we talked before about what they're hoping to get out of it. But who is this really targeting right now? Who's, who's, who's into it and why? <laughs> I mean, honestly, that's... So it's a beautiful thing about uh, the practice. It, it's not. There is no demographic. There is no gender. There is no it, yoga. Is invites everyone. And um, I personally, right now, I I have always, since the very start of my teaching career, have always. Um, taught at the YMCA's mm-hmm. and um, in addition to other, you know, high-end studios. And that is because I think that it's it's something that is for everyone. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it needs to be... Anyone can... You don't need yoga clothes. You don't mm-hmm. need a yoga mat. These are all super new things in the world of yoga in the history of yoga um, that never even existed before. You don't need anything right. except yourself to, and your breathing to practice yoga. And I think that uh, it's really amazing for me to see people in their 70s show up for class, to see young men show mm-hmm. up for class, um, and, and are men increasingly doing this too? Yes, and it's so interesting that yoga is, you know, people think about yoga these days and they're like, oh, it's just a women's, just for women, but... Well, I mean, I, the temptation is to think of it almost as, mm-hmm. like, the typical clientele for Lululemon, as well, an example. exactly. Which probably leans much more towards women than men. And, and it's true, although, um, we can talk about Lululemon another time. <laughs> 
certainly, certainly men are definitely doing yoga these days. And um, just, just for history's sake, mm -hmm. yoga was not designed for women. Mm. And when yoga first, when yoga asana was first taking place, it was actually just for young boys, like preteens, yeah. teens, and these pupils were training to be monks. And so they were taught these rigorous asana postures in order to expend all of their energy and especially their sexual energy to wear them out completely so then they could sit and meditate, which getting right back to everything for me, I think is the real purpose of yoga. Um, so now it is, you know, very popular mm -hmm. to women, um, but I think it's, it's a very interesting thing to know that it was... I would, ne I would never have thought that <laughs> tweens or young men would yeah. have been the, the linchpin of mm -hmm. yoga. Um, you know, and... and so we talked with Andrew about why yoga, what yoga. I want to segue a little bit towards yoga as healing also and just um, almost from the perspective of the, the prescriptive and um, uh, like a form of Western medicine, if you will, where, or Eastern medicine where you have an activity that can really bring you a sense of peace, closure, harmony, wellness, healing also. Um, and so Andrea had uh, someone, two people close to her um, who passed recently. And I was wondering, does he say you feel comfortable if you can share just maybe how your yoga has either helped you through that process or what part of your life it's taken on now? Yeah, um, absolutely. So as Sean said, um, I have had two recently two family members pass. Um, my father actually passed away uh, two months ago, and honestly, yoga has been the most helpful tool I could. I am so grateful to be ingrained in this and have a yoga practice on my own because I think it has just really made the whole process um, quite unique from what I understand when I talk to other people. I mean, I I do miss my father, and we were very close, and um, he was a wonderful, wonderful man. And um, although I, I miss him, I feel very much that he is still around mm -hmm. and I feel his presence and I feel when I am confused or lost or don't know how to proceed in, in different ways in my day-to-day -day life I feel that I can be quiet for a moment mm -hmm. and um, really receive guidance from him and I think this for me definitely is a connection to my practice because without learning in all this time how everything is absolutely connected and how 
we really do have all the answers mm -hmm. inside us and we really do have everyone actually is a divine being in the sense that we all have um, a higher power within us and I think the real true gift the real gem of having a yoga practice is being able to get to this place where you are quiet and you can find things that you can't. You, you, you have mentioned the word quiet now several times, and that's a deliberate choice, and it's not one that I, um, I have used so far. But I wonder now, in, in the wake of the passing of, of, of your father, another family member, if just the need for quiet and solace and having a space to yourself, whether, and you can be surrounded by other people, but just a space where you can let your own thoughts be and to remain calm and at peace with yourself really matters. And you, you, you get the sense now with the proliferation of technology, media, how we're connected, um, maybe just that the pace feels quicker in this generation than it did in prior ones, I don't know, that what's lost in that is potentially just a sense of quiet and stillness. And I wonder, in, in the wake of, uh, of losing someone, if you need almost just this ability to, to calm and to quiet and, and whether that in and of itself has therapeutic benefits. Yeah, I mean, again, I, I feel utterly grateful for having had this having had this practice for years before now because I feel like it's been a big preparation for this huge transition that I'm going through and also it has helped me in years past with other events in my life like moving and breakups and getting new jobs. I mean, all, all these times of, of stress and change, it, it is really a place that you can... Uh, go back to it really like fosters this this tool of, of being able to yeah just take a moment take a breath and breathe and just know that everything will go on mm -hmm. everything will be okay life will continue and the only <laughs> constant thing is change and to just feel okay about that and it's not to say that there's some days that I'm not you know upset and stressed out and have road rage I mean I certainly do but if I'm very grateful to have at least the access to get to this place of okay take a deep breath and let it out and you know just just chill because it's um it's not an easy thing to do when you're like in the big mucky swamp of, yeah. you know, discomfort. Well, yeah, and I, I like one of the themes you mentioned previously was just yoga as an outlet, and for a lot of these young boys that they needed an outlet, and yoga provided it for them. And now in some sense, yoga has, tran has transformed for you, where you had had it as an outlet, a way to connect to the community, focus on meditation, mindfulness, enlightenment, but also posture and breathing and now it yoga is also migrating for you where it's providing sustenance and solace and 
arguably resilience also, that it, it seems as though it, it's one activity, it's four letters yoga, but it's migrated so much for you over time. Um, and I think there's something so beautiful about that. When you take an activity that so simple in its essence and yet can have an effect on you in so many different ways and and moves with you and changes with you as years go on. Like you've been doing yoga for many years. You're, um, it's not competitive, so I would say you're very good at it. <laughs> Something much to compare it to. But it's part of you. It's part of your identity and who you are. And I think there's something refreshing about an activity that's so simple at its at its core, and it's focused on light, enlightenment, breathing, posture, etc., but that has so many different domains in which it can also touch you and your students and your community. Uh, so, in this this podcast, we, we've themed it, kind of why yoga, and we also talked about what what is yoga and how you de- define it. I wonder, just uh, in getting into maybe some uh, closing, uh, a closing thought that's maybe mildly controversial, <laughs> controversial. Is there anything about yoga that either rankles you or you think has gone too far? Maybe other forms of yoga that don't speak to you? Just as an example, and not to throw Bikram yoga under the bus, but I did Bikram yoga about a year ago. I was in the process of um, doing marathon training and I went with a friend of mine. Actually, it was. <laughs> Andy Mitzak, who's been on this program before, and I ended up doing Bikram, and it was a one and done for me. <laughs> I did it, and it was just really overwhelming. I couldn't do a lot of the poses. I had to basically end up in child pose for half of it and let the rest of the class go on. And it was a little bit discouraging. And I, I wonder for you if there are any pockets of yoga that you think have either gotten out of hand or grown too much, become too faddish, maybe something in the activities moving in, in the direction you might not prefer, or is it all just one big happy space and, and you're completely <laughs> at peace with everything and anything yoga related and let it be? I mean, for me, I, I personally just feel that there are, again, many practices of Hatha yoga. And I think whatever gets people on the mat and gets people into a place where they can learn how to have a yoga practice on their own is really a great thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, my only real concern or or beef, if you will, <laughs> from two non-meat eaters, um, my only thing is people being taught postures that are um, not appropriate for them to be doing. Okay. And, and in that way, I think that, again, yoga is something that you should, it, it's a lifelong practice, hopefully, and that happens only if you have a yes. healthy body. And yeah. going to a yoga class is supposed to improve that for you. And when you go to a class and your alignment is not taught, uh, I think that can easily equate to people having injuries. Yes. Sustaining injuries from a practice where they're going in order to heal their bodies, in order to strengthen their bodies, in order to increase flexibility. And I think that's the real shame in um, a lot of 
practices these days, and I just think it's it's a lack of education. And honestly, uh, one of the reasons that I enjoy teaching so much is because I have been really um, super blessed to have some of the most the best teachers in the world, mm -hmm. actually, um, if you will, and to learn about correctness in postures so you can you can strengthen your body and right. you can keep your practice going for as long as you choose to. Um, so I really appreciate being able to share that with other people and I think it's an incredibly helpful tool. So I, I think all forms of yoga go great mm -hmm. and I just, my one uh, my one wish would be that it would be safe for everyone yes. and that teachers would be knowledgeable as best they can in order to also, you know, transmit that information to their students. Um, when that disconnect happens, it's like can end up, right. it's a real shame. So I, I think that's really well put. Just that you want the activity to have staying power. You don't want it to be a one and done. You want someone to feel comfortable and to be able to enter poses without getting injured or feeling really out of place. Um, I think that's spot on. So, um, thank you, Andrea. The, the themes that we hit on were why yoga, what yoga, <laughs> healing with yoga, um, and then just the staying power of the activity, ensuring it's not kind of faddish and a one and done. And I think what, one of the differentiating parts about what Andrea brought to this, which surprised me, is that I was expecting the conversation to focus um, more so on the physical nature of yoga, the the poses, the stretching, the um, the the nuances of warrior versus downward dog versus child pose. If anything, I'm the one that uttered more in the way of actual <laughs> names of poses than yeah. you did. And that speaks to me because it's not necessarily about this pose per se or that pose. That is a, a conduit through which you experience a greater level of enlightenment and mindfulness and also, as you kept mentioning, quiet and peace in your life also. And so I, I think that's really helpful for also listeners to just look beyond whatever the facade is, which is, okay, there's a class and I see all these people doing warrior pose. I can't do warrior pose, therefore I'm not going to do yoga. It's like, no, that's a, a conduit. That's an, an example. That's a symbol of something that enables a sense of enlightenment that otherwise wouldn't take place without doing those types of poses. A hundred percent. I mean, I, I think that you just really hit the nail on the head. I, I just would like to, for the listeners to touch on this um, word <laughs> of enlightenment. And, and I think that as far as we know, there's only been one recorded instance in history of that ever happening, not to say it has not happened since and not to say it won't happen. Uh, I hope it will. I actually have it as my number one goal in life for to me. Um, but really more mindfulness as, as a, another um, vehicle for that to happen um, is, is, I think, the real reason to practice. But, but yeah, it's, postures are... Um, can be modified for most everybody, and um, there is certainly some sort of form of yoga that's probably appropriate for nearly everyone. Um, but at the end of the day, yoga is really is sitting down and uh, letting your mind be free of thoughts uh, as best you can. <laughs> so, right. thank right. you so well, much. Well, great John. closing thoughts. <laughs> On that note, we cheers with a close. Pillow talk.
episode number six with Andrea Rizindis on Y Yoga. Namaste. Yes.